This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And we start out looking at how this election is impacting the news media. Major Garrett is the chief Washington correspondent for CBS News, and he joins us on the line right now. Major, thanks very much for your time. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Hope you are as well. Great to be with you. Thank you. So when you look at what you've gone through so far in this political season and what you expect to go through over the next couple of weeks, how different is it from what you're normally experiencing during a a run-up to a presidential election? Well, Dan, let me summarize it this way. I am sick of covering a presidential campaign from my couch. (laughs) That'll do it, yeah. (laughs) That's it in a nutshell. I mean, I was on the Republican side of the battle for the Republican nomination starting in August of 2015, and I covered that campaign, which over time quite obviously became principally a Donald Trump campaign until the end. So that's the better part of 15 and a half months. And I was on the road relentlessly. I barely uh, got home ever. And when I did, it was to sleep and to do my laundry and then get back out on the road. It was exhausting, but it was also uh, one of the most memorable experiences of my life. It became a springboard for the fourth book that I've written in my career about the Trump campaign and the first two years of his administration called Mr. Trump's Wild Ride. Yeah. And I went to more than 75 rallies around the country for then-candidate Donald Trump, and I had a very good sense of what might be happening. I never predicted he would win, but I told everyone at CBS, don't be surprised if he does. And I miss all of that. I miss all of the interaction with voters. I miss traveling the country, seeing what the country looks like, seeing what storefronts look like, interacting with voters. All of that is invisible to me because I haven't traveled outside of Washington on a work assignment except to go to Bucks County to do an election integrity piece in six and a half, seven months. And that's a completely different experience. So what I've done, essentially, this picks up on why I was in Bucks County, is I focus relentlessly on all the issues related to election integrity, because that is an area where I can do a ton of Zoom calls with secretaries of state, county, city, local officials, poll workers and the like, and stitch together a tapestry of what's happening in our country as we try to carry out an important consequential election, no doubt, probably record turnout, 150, maybe 155, maybe as many as 160 million Americans voting and doing so in the grips of a pandemic. So there are a lot of fascinating issues there, and I'm really laser-focused on that. Yeah, you mentioned Bucks County. Bucks County, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, is one of the one of the important counties in the state of Pennsylvania, which we know the state itself is going to be very important. Now, obviously, there's there's really been no shortage of stories uh, to fight, suffice it to say, uh, during this period of time. So even though you're working from home, I would imagine you're you're constantly busy, uh, you know, following up on leads and and such to 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 cover as much as you can of this uh, of this race. Right. I mean, we were busy enough before the passing of Associate Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and that made us incredibly busy. So that sort of reset or toppled or certainly influenced the arc and the conversation of the presidential campaign. And then we had the president's COVID-19 positivity test and everyone in the White House. And that was yet another massive disruption to not only the framing around the debate, what's the country talking about, what is its focus, what is the president's underlying health, what are his treatments, everything was minute by minute, and intense, intense coverage of that. 
not only on live television, but all the people I was trying to get in touch with, our White House team was getting in touch with, et cetera, et cetera. And now we have a cancellation of a second presidential debate. I mean, we would be talking under normal circumstances, I would think in part in this conversation, about tonight's big debate. Well, guess what? We're not doing that. Yeah. If there isn't one. There are, a bunch of, there are a couple of town halls, which will have a fraction of the look-in audience and a fraction of the importance to the tra- trajectory of the campaign. So, so many things in just the last couple of weeks have not only been turbulent, but exhausting. The the other element I'm interested to ask you about is just the landscape of news right now because, uh, you know, that industry has changed quite a bit in, in the last few years with the advent of social media and so more so many more voices out there uh, covering news and delivering news content. So what has that component meant to you know being on a beat over the last several years? Uh, do we have about six or seven hours for this conversation? Uh, <laughs> you got about six or seven <laughs> seconds on that one. <laughs> right, right. I mean, transformative doesn't begin to describe it. Uh, I don't know how much you know about my career, but I got into this business after I graduated from the University of Missouri School of Journalism in 1984. I worked in newspapering for 17 years, uh, wrote two books. My last job in print was at U.S. News and World Report. Then I was brought into the world of television, CNN, then Fox, uh, then went back to my life as a writer at National Journal, and then went back to television at CBS. I've worked in center-left newsrooms and center-right newsrooms. I think it's made me a better, more curious, and effective journalist, by the way. But what I've seen in my career is two enormous shifts, three, actually. One, network news broadcasts are not nearly as important as they used to be. They don't drive the conversation, and they don't orient the country around the sort of glowing blue campfire the way they used to. Number two, local newspapering is a shell of its former self. We don't understand our local news nearly as much as we used to. And what that has meant is that the major two parties try to factor everything that's at the local level in a hard red or blue cast, and most issues at the local level simply aren't. So the partisanship has bled down into our local uh, understanding or comprehension of politics. And then the third thing is social media where conversations can happen entirely on social media between political actors and reporters are not involved at all. And that has led reporters to become a little bit more opinionated, a little bit more out there to be part of the conversation. And that opinionated side of modern journalism is not anything I'm comfortable with. If you look at my Twitter feed, it's among the most boring Twitter feeds (laughs) that you'll find among significant or semi-significant news figures because I don't opinionate about anything. I just don't. Uh, and I'm comfortable with that, and I'll stay with that because that's where I started my career, and I'm not changing now. Right, and and I think that's if you look at at, at the the two major cable news networks that are out there, uh, I think that is what has really driven a lot of the change as well. Is the fact that you know they may have had uh, an element of being news outlets, but they're more and more delivering you know, their own opinions in the last few years. And and that has changed a lot of the dynamics with how those two broadcast entities really go about their business. It's a total business model of reinforced ideological uh, interpretation of the news. Fox started it, MSNBC uh, then uh, mimicked it, and they are both uh, business models that for them and for their purposes work. But I think it's had a possibly misunderstood or underappreciated effect on American politics, which is this. 
people now just go on one or the other, which means they don't have to work their intellectual muscles at all. Every interview is a home team interview. And when every interview is a home team interview, you don't need to know anything about the other side. You don't have to worry about hard questions about what the other side might be thinking. You get to live and comfortably exist rhetorically and intellectually and politically in a safe space and like your own little protected zone. And I think that's had a deleterious effect, not only on ingenuity in politics, meaning thinking of new ideas and operating at a sophisticated level and getting things done. It's also created a dynamic where we spend a lot of time and the audiences watch this in kind of feudal fights uh, about the issues and getting having a very hard time getting to a resolution because you don't have to spend any time learning about what your opposition thinks, believes or fears. Right. And I've always said in politics, the most successful people are those who understand what their political fears and anxieties are, but also who deeply understand what their opponents' political fears and anxieties are. Because only then do you have a conversation that can lead to some kind of compromise. One final question for you, Major, because, and, and you know, this is just something I, I, I think kind of anecdotally have seen. And, you know, over the last year or so, we've had the, the opportunity to interview members of the administration uh, to talk about economic issues. Uh, and, and it seems like that there is more access to this administration than maybe we have seen in, in, in past administrations. Am I right about that? Or, or is it just part of, you know, their motive motives operandi to be able to get out there and promote what they want to talk about? So there is no question. And I've said this in many, many uh, speeches and in, uh, debates where I've been part or panels where I've been part of a lot of other reporters. I've written for academic journals about this. This president by far is the most accessible president I've ever covered. And I, my presidential coverage goes back to George Herbert Walker Bush. So I covered that mostly from Congress. I wasn't in the White House every day. There's just no question. Donald Trump loves to be in front of the camera. He loves to mix it up. And he loves to take questions. And he has created a larger volume of presidential utterances to the free press than any presidential predecessor of his in modern history, quite possibly ever. And many in his administration, particularly on the economic side, because the economics they feel and have felt they've got a good story to tell, have been willing to get out there and they take their cues from the president. Now, having said that, when this is all over, whenever that is, the president will be remembered for saying something that I think is unforgivable of an American president, that the free press is an enemy of the people. Yeah. So he has he lives in both worlds. Massive antagonism and uh, denunciations of a free press, but also more accessible to it, more open to it, more willing to spar with it than any other previous president. It's part of the complex duality of Donald Trump. Let me quickly also ask you, I, I just Pat was passed to note that uh, you're also leading the new voter integrity unit at CBS. Tell us quickly about mm -hmm. what that is all about. As I mentioned earlier, it's just all of the conversations I've been able to have with election officials from top to bottom. I've talked to poll workers who are opting out because they're too old and they're afraid for COVID-19. Young, young poll workers who are stepping in, secretaries of state of both parties from around the country, county officials, city officials, lawyers. There have been more than 300 lawsuits filed across the country. Most of them have been resolved, but many haven't. Trying to keep track of all the rule changes in all the various battleground states and bring that information to our listeners and viewers in whichever way I can. We do that on the evening news, CBS This Morning. I have two podcasts, one called The Takeout, one called The Debrief. If you yeah. look either of them up, you'll find substantial information about voting in a pandemic on both platforms. 
Major, thanks very much for your time. Uh, do the best you can while you're at home. Hopefully you get out of there at some point, uh, exactly. maybe on election night. And let's do this again soon. Absolutely, Major. All the best. Major Garrett, Chief Washington Correspondent for CBS News. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.